Welcome back to The Peripheral. In this episode, I speak with Kathy about a drunk driving incident that she was involved in. Well, actually, she was the drunk driver. During this episode, you will hear us talk about the process that she went through, the laws that she broke. It's a frank discussion that most people don't hear unless you've gone through it yourself. You will hear us criticize some of the laws and court system processes. This is by no means a defense of drunk driving and the actions that she'd taken. We do not condone it whatsoever. Please understand that the intention of this episode, so other people can hear what it's like to be charged with a DWI and all the horrible ramifications that go along with it. Hello. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to me. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I kind of feel like it's one of those things that you don't really want to go around telling everybody about, but that it may be if people heard it and it's anonymous, so I'm not like completely embarrassing myself no. that I, I could possibly prevent somebody else from doing what I did, you know? Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the point. You should learn from each other's mistakes or we should hear the actual real story of what it's like when something yeah. like this happens. I was going to start with the night of the accident. I guess that's the most logical place to start. What, what year was this? It was last year. Okay. I went out with some friends to a bar, restaurant. The shame of it is it's only about a 20-minute walk from my house. So I should have walked. Mm. You know, you think about these things afterwards. There was a little, like, bluegrass band playing there. That's why we went there, because we wanted to hear them. Ended up staying longer than expected, drinking more than planned. And sometimes when you're out somewhere with, with friends, you you get distracted and you don't realize how long you've been there, how many drinks you've had, because you're having a good time. Absolutely. We left there around, I want to say we left between 9 and 10. I drove a friend of mine home, which is also probably about a 20-minute walk from their house as well. So just a few miles then. Mm-hmm. All of this was very close to home, which made it so it could have been totally avoided. But, and but then, at the same time, you're going to a concert. You might want to dress mm-hmm. up a little bit and not walk three miles and high heel shoes or something to that effect. I mean, I, yeah. I, I get why a lot of people don't walk because it's just more convenient to drive. When you're not planning on staying that long, and you know, and you're not planning on drinking that much, and then something changes, you know. So I went down this road that is very narrow. It's so narrow, in fact, that people park on both sides and they park their cars like halfway on the sidewalk. I was going down this hill and somebody was coming towards me and they weren't moving over. So I moved over because I thought they were going to hit me. And it's funny. I actually remember exactly what I was listening to at the time. Mm-hmm. I was listening to the epi- an episode of The Moth yeah. and it was about baseball and it's funny to me because I remember that and I remember the car coming towards me and then I don't remember anything. So I ended up hitting a parked car. 
I didn't hit the car coming towards me, which it was like my saving grace that I hit a, a car that nobody was in. Yeah. So the next thing I remember is being at my house. Now, my house is about a mile away from where the accident happened. Very close. I had driven my car home. And I remember my car was damaged, uh, very damaged. It ended up being totaled. But I was able to drive it home. And I remember thinking, oh, I hit, a, I hit the curb and I have a flat tire. But in reality, I think what happened was I hit my head and I was totally disoriented yeah. on top of being intoxicated. Sounds, sounds likely, yeah. And I remember saying, like, I'm going to take it to my mechanic tomorrow. When in reality, if you looked at it, it was not something that a mechanic could fix. It had to go to a body shop. Kind of in denial, kind of not really understanding. Yeah, not understanding and not not being able to really process the amount of damage. And there was never a point where I said to myself, I'm going to flee the scene and go home. I didn't say, you know, I didn't make that conscious decision. I don't remember driving home. So I went in and I went to sleep. At some point after that, the police showed up at my house because of the damage to my car, I was kind of dragging the front uh, passenger side tire, and it left a drag mark all the way to my house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And actually, to this day, that drag mark is still on my driveway, and every time I walk outside, I see it, and I, like... Reminded. Like, <sighs> yeah. It reminds me of that night, which is, like, the worst night of my life. So, they questioned me and I was really out of it still and I was I had just been asleep for I think about an hour maybe a half I don't know the police said they were at my house within 10 minutes of the accident but there's no way I don't know if they just don't know exactly when it happened or you know but I definitely was home for more than 10 minutes Mm -hmm. so they started questioning me and I was really confused still like they didn't ask me like were you injured or anything and I was really confused about what was going on and what had happened. They were, you know, asking me question after question after question. And I'm like, I don't know. I was really confused and I was kind of afraid of of incriminating myself. But then um, they made me do like the field sobriety test, which I failed. This is what's so embarrassing. This is in, in front of my house. You know, my like the police lights are on. I'm out there doing the field sobriety test in the street. You know, my neighbors saw that. You know, it woke them up. Yeah. And they've never said anything to me about it, but you know, they know. And it's just, it's humiliating. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's humiliating. Uh, they handcuffed me. I, ref- I refused to do the breathalyzer, but I requested a blood test because they're typically more accurate. Mm hmm took me to the hospital to get a blood test. Now, if, if I were to refuse and the blood test too, I would have lost immediately lost my license for a year, no questions asked. So that's mm-hmm. kind of one of the things with the law where even if you if you had nothing to drink and you refuse it, then you lose your license. So Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Being handcuffed and put in the back of a cop car is like, I was always the kid who did nothing wrong, never gotten in trouble with the law before ever. I had one speeding ticket in my whole life, which was for going like five miles an hour over the speed limit. So 
um, being handcuffed and put in the back of a cop car was a hor- horrible experience for me. I have to say that, you know, I've looked at your Facebook profile. You look mm-hmm. like a normal person. I would never imagine you being in the back of a squad car. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone can be a yeah. driver. Yeah, I mean, it can happen to anyone. And when they took me to the hospital, they had to call in security. I mean, I wasn't being, I wasn't being belligerent and I wasn't being, you know, I was doing everything they asked. But it just makes you feel really... Dehumanized. Yeah. And so they had me, you know, they handcuffed me to a chair, which is another fun experience. And I kept asking, I said, I I want an attorney. And they were like, you can't, you can't have an attorney right now. I said, well, I want to at least call and consult with an attorney as to whether I should do this or not. And they're like, if you do that, then you're just automatically going to lose your license for a year. So... And, and how far away do you work from your house? I mean, you have uh, to have an hour. Yeah. So there's no mm-hmm. public transportation that's going to get you there. If no. you lose your license, essentially you're homeless now. <laughs> yeah. You, you've lost your job. You've, you know, you've, you've lost your ability to get anywhere. And I, I live in the suburbs. I, I don't live in, in a city, so I can't walk to work. There's no train service here. There's no taxi service. So it's difficult. Uh, there's no bus service here either. So at the hospital, I did finally consent to getting my blood drawn. And I thought they were going to take me to jail for the night, but they actually took me home and dropped me off. And they said, you'll probably just get ARD, which is like an accelerated rehabilitation kind of program for first-time offenders. Okay. And this is something that I never knew because I'd never been in trouble before. They didn't automatically charge me with anything. They came back to my house the next day and gave me an accident report. And then I didn't get anything for about a month or month and a half. So you don't know I, what's going on or anything. Yeah, no idea. So I got it uh, about a month, a month and a half later in the mail that I was being charged with a DUI. And I had a few other charges related to the accident. Um one was for damaging property. One was for essentially leaving the scene. Careless driving was another one. They were all summary offenses, so um, they weren't they weren't huge uh, criminal charges. So was drinking and driving or driving under the influence? Yeah, okay. driving under the influence was the big guy, and then okay. the other ones were just the summary offenses that went along with it for the property damage and everything, which my insurance covered all of the damage to the person's vehicle. So, you know, luckily that's why you don't, don't drive without insurance. Well, actually this is another thing that you should probably insert before I say that Hmm. they sent all of my paperwork to my parents' house, which I haven't lived there in over 10 years. Did your driver's license have their address or anything? Nope. No. So and what the hell were they referencing? <laughs> I don't know. They must have had, like, I know when I, and even when I got the ticket, like, over 10 years ago uh, for speeding, I didn't even live there then. I don't know if it was some in my history with the DMV or something. I have no idea. So I didn't tell my parents about it because, for obvious reasons, my parents would freak out. Because I'm like their good kid, <laughs> you know. 
Even good kids can make mistakes. Yeah. So something goes to their house from the court. And then they, I don't know if you know this, but a lot of times if you're charged for a crime, apparently attorneys buy your information. Yep. And then you get like 200 letters in the mail. Uh, You know, we, we see you've been charged with such and such crime. You need help and this legal help and the, and this is uh, our qualifications essentially is what they sent. So that all went to your parents' house? That all went to my parents' house and they're calling me like, what did you do? And I told them I was in an accident, but that I didn't tell them the DUI part because obviously I had to get a new car. And then one of these letters comes and on the outside it says, regarding your DUI and other offenses. This is from a lawyer, an attorney? Uh-huh. I actually called them and complained. Like, really, that's a violation of my... Even though this is public record, that was kind of... I felt like a violation of my privacy. Um, I would agree, because I'm not going to look up your public record. Uh, mm-hmm. The mailman and every single person that handled that piece of mail is not actively seeking out your public record. So, therefore, yeah. this is putting it out there involuntary or against your wishes. Yeah. I was, like, horrified about that. I called the court, and the lady apologized uh, for the error, fixed it, and, the, and then they, they were really apologetic. They said, do you need us to postpone it because you didn't get it, your paperwork right away? And I said, no, it's fine. So at this point, I they start— actually offered to do that? Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that must have been a big mistake on their part. I even pulled out my driver's license, and I was like, did I never change my address? But no, I definitely did. And so I went and I started calling around to attorneys. You know, after you the, you do something like that, you feel like the worst person on earth. And it's it's embarrassing. You're embarrassed that you did such a thing. And you don't want to have to rehash it 50 different times while looking for lawyers. So yeah. I found this guy. He was the best rated one in my area. and Five-star Yelp review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like a, a I think it's like avvo.com or something that reviews strictly attorneys. Oh. I went with him and cost me $2,500. That was the first big amount of money that I had to put out. Well, I had to buy a new car. Yeah. I had a collision. So I, they paid off my loan and I ended up with like a thousand or $1,500 afterwards to put down towards a new vehicle. But, um, your premium, though, was it's, it's all is a wash right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My insurance, this is part of the cost here. Your insurance goes through the roof. So you have to pay for an attorney. I would not suggest that anybody try to go to court for a DUI without an attorney because when I was in court, and I'll talk about this later, there were people there without an attorney who got screwed. Mm-hmm. essentially, who probably were, did the same thing that I did. Or maybe even less. <laughs> yeah. I, re- I retained this attorney. Um, I had to go to like a preliminary hearing. And if you want to apply for program, the, the ARD program, you have to waive your rights to a preliminary hearing. So essentially, if there's something that happened that you think you could get it thrown out for, if you try to fight that, then you can't get into this program. And by getting into this program, you lose your license for, a, instead of a year, you lose it for 60 days. Mm-hmm. 
it's like a gamble one way or the other. You could have gotten it thrown out, but you don't want to take the chance. So you go with the safe option. And, and if you fight it and you lose, then you're also facing jail time. Uh, and that's very scary. What did your attorney suggest? He, he wanted me to try for the ARD. He didn't even want to attempt to, to fight it. Because there was a lot of discrepancies between the police report and what happened that night. The time was completely different. And it's not just me saying that. And you would say, oh, well, you were drunk. But there were other people. Like the time, like one of the times on the police report, like they were saying the accident happened later than it did. Because the place that we were drinking closed that night at a certain time. And, and I only drove, dropped a friend off, came back around. There's no way it would have taken me that long. So it was hard to fight because nobody's going to believe the drunk person's story, you know? Yeah, as if you don't have any concept of the time or anything. Yeah. yeah. As much as I don't condone or think that drinking and driving is okay, mm -hmm. it, it is annoying to me that people think when you're drunk, all of a sudden you're equivalent to someone being on LSD and you have no yeah. concept of anything and you see things and you're hallucinating. Like, no, I would assume that... We've all been drunk. Most yeah. most of America drinks. You know what it's like, and you know that you're not. As long as you're not blacked out drunk, you're yeah. kind of you know. You remember what song was playing on the radio. Yeah, you know you remember yeah. details. And also, I believe that what they were going by was when someone called it in, yeah. and not when it actually happened, because they don't know when it actually happened. They only know when they got a call. So I waived my rights to to the preliminary hearing. And then they set an arraignment date, but I didn't have to go to that because I had an attorney. And then they set my trial date. And at the preliminary hearing, my attorney had me fill out the paperwork for applying for ARD. And this is kind of where the system screws you over, because just to apply for ARD, you have to give up your rights to that preliminary hearing. So you're pretty much admitting guilt? Kind of. If they deny you... If they deny your entry into ARD, you can't go back and have a preliminary hearing to have the the um, judge throw out evidence. Now you automatically go to it, trial. All of it goes in. <laughs> yeah. So my attorney said, if you get a letter from the DA's office saying that they denied your application, let me know. So I never got a letter saying they denied my application. So I assumed that I got accepted into the ARD program. In the meantime, I had to go to this uh, county agency and get a drug and alcohol evaluation. That cost me, I want to say about 200, between $200 and $300 for that evaluation. Took about two hours and they just asked me a ton of questions. I mean, these were crazy, crazy questions. Some of them like, what kind of birth control do you use? You have to answer it. It's Some of it's absurd. But they Is ask you some, things like... Somehow your birth control is relevant to this? I yeah, I don't know. I was like, what? And they're like, well, we only ask women this question. I'm like, what? okay. So it's sexist. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. But then they ask you questions like, does anyone in your family have a problem with drugs or alcohol? And if you say yes to some of these questions like that, even if you do have somebody, you can have somebody in your in your family that's a drug addict, but that doesn't make you an alcoholic, you know? They can make you go to rehab and pay for it out of pocket. And so the character of your lineage matters. 
Yes, yes. So you have to be very careful in what you say to these people because they click all these, you know, yes, no. And at the end, they total it up. And depending on what your score is, (laughs) like it decides if you need to go to rehab or if you get you just have to take some classes or, you know, it all depends. So I had to take classes and it was four eight-hour classes, and they're just like DUI highway safety classes, essentially, where they go over, you know, tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't drink and drive. And I was fine doing that. I mean, that's that's fine. Uh, That cost me $400. So we're 25 and then 400. And 250 for the evaluation itself. Yeah. So we're up to almost $4,000. Yeah. And it keeps going up. And then as we're getting closer to my trial date, I start calling my attorney. You have to figure with somebody, he only handles DUIs. And to him, you're just kind of like another person. And, you know, while I'm sitting here freaking out about the rest of my life, you know, he's just like, oh, it's another one. And not really getting back to me. In a timely manner. You're just another <clears throat> case. Yes. And so he finally called me back a couple days before my trial date. And he tells me that the the DA only got my file three days or four days before my trial and decided to deny my ARD. So I have like a complete mental breakdown over this. He tells me that He's going to say, um, he's going to talk to her, ask her to reconsider, because also that when I had my preliminary hearing, the police officer was there, and my attorney talked to him, and he said that he would be willing to request that I get ARD because I had no prior criminal history. He's a police officer in my town. He sees, he drives by my house, I'm sure, daily, because they always drive down my street. And sees, I, I do not leave, I do not drive after dark now, unless I absolutely have to, essentially. And I don't even want to, you know, I just don't. He was willing to help, but apparently the DA had a hard time getting a hold of him at first. So my attorney goes in with and talks to her with this story. And he says, she forgot her phone and she went home to call the police. Now, if we're going with their timeline... She says, well, she should have stopped and started knocking on doors. And he was like, well, you know, she was really disoriented. She hit her head. And do you really want a a young woman out at 1030 at night knocking on people's doors? Yeah, we've seen what happens when another woman in a neighborhood had an accident, knocked on the door, and the homeowner shot her through the door. Mm -hmm. If you knocked on my door at 1030 at night, Mm -hmm. I'm probably calling the police if I'm not expecting you. Yeah, exactly. And the houses there are really close together. It's not like the car I hit was like, obviously, this person's car or something. And and you already said the street was packed and the street's narrow. I mean, you Mm -hmm. have no idea whose home this car belongs to. Yeah. So I had this, you know, mental breakdown over a couple of days because he then tells me, you know, if that happens and you have to plead guilty, you're going to have to do at least three days in jail. And I start having, like, complete panic attack because I'm like, what am I going to tell my kids Mommy's, where I'm Mommy's got to go to jail because, yeah. yeah, 
So I start having, you know, like total mental breakdown over this. And also it's just the whole idea of going to jail is terrifying. And what, I, what, what would really be the point? I, I, it's all punitive. It's just to punish you to the point where you will n- never do such a thing. But I'm one of those people that getting put in the back of a cop car was enough to make it so I never would do that ever again, you know? But the argument would be not everyone's like you. Yes, that's true. That's <laughs> but, very but, true. But how about the we're almost to four grand in, in fines mm-hmm. that would probably have an impact on a lot of people and we're not yeah. even done with the fines yet right no we're not done <laughs> so um so the day i go i do did not know my fate until the, day the morning mm-hmm. that i went into court i never gone through something like this before obviously so everybody else there seemed seemed a little bit more experienced with this than me and they knew apparently you're supposed to get in a line to check in and everybody like herded into this line and I'm like what's everybody doing <laughs> you know so you got to check in they tell you where to go when I went in the courtroom everybody had to sit down and then all of the attorneys were up in the front part of the the courtroom and they were just calling out people's names because I a lot of people don't ever meet with their attorney beforehand or, you know, if they have a public defender or something. My attorney was late and I was, you know, continuing to have a mental breakdown. I was trying not to cry. I was trying to hold myself together. Of course, everybody else there had like a support person, but I didn't because I didn't I didn't want like a witness to my, you know, like if I just totally lost it, I'd rather just be by myself. Oh, and it's embarrassing. You're you you feel shamed, and you don't yeah. want to include anyone else in this. In yeah, time. and I was like, I did this. I need to face this. You know, like I don't need somebody to hold my hand because I did this. This I I did this. This was very wrong, and I could have killed somebody. And I'm lucky that I hit the parked car and not the car that you know was you know didn't move over into their lane. It was probably another drunk person coming from the same place that I was just at. You know, right around the corner from there. So this is what I have to go through and I'm going to do it by myself. So my attorney finally comes in and he goes up to the front and I'm watching him. I see him go up to the assistant district attorney. I see her say, we're going to give your girl ARD. And I instantly had like this huge relief. And then I was like, oh, wait, what if he has more than one person here today? All of us were there for something minor that you could get ARD for. Like, it seemed like DUI, minor drug offenses, stuff like that. He came out uh, from that front area of the courtroom and came up to me and he said, they're going to give you ARD. And he was he was really excited. He's like, isn't that so great? And and I, and I couldn't even get, get excited because, like, the sense of relief was so strong. In order to not cry and maintain my composure, I had to show no emotion. And he was like, why am I more excited about this than you? And I said, I'm just trying not to cry. <laughs> so I had to go down. I had to go down to the first floor of the courthouse and pay $1,000. Now, this is a, a funny thing about the law. If you have an attorney and you get a, you get ARD, you have to pay $1,000 up front that day at court. If you don't have an attorney, you only have to pay $500. So that doesn't even make sense. I know, you know, I've already put out so much money. So, but I guess it's because people, I guess people, most people without an attorney can't afford a thousand dollars. I don't know. 
I don't but, know. But what you've the... already paid an attorney a thousand or more dollars, so wouldn't you be less likely? I don't. The, the logic. Yeah. The, the logic is not. Sound. It doesn't make any sense to me. As I was sitting there, I'm, I'm listening to the people around me, and there was this really young guy right behind me, and he did not have an attorney, and he went and he talked to the assistant district attorney himself, and he comes back crying. And I'm not sure if he was with his mom or his girlfriend or something, because they didn't turn around and stare at them, because I felt bad for him, and they had denied his ARD for um, apparently... In between the time they charged him with whatever he did and the court date, they added some other charge. And because of his other charge, they denied him just like me. They were initially denying it because I left the scene. But since I had an attorney who was able to say whatever and argue in my favor, I I got ARD and this kid didn't. And he was looking at going to jail for three days. Three days, you can say, oh, well, that's not that bad. But they're just going to jail for anyone is bad. People say that, you know, money buys your innocence or mm-hmm. or at least having money, you get treated differently. You do. And, and it's not like the district attorney, you know, knew how much money I have or anything like that. But the fact that I had someone representing me, I got treated better. It was really... Uh, you know, you felt bad. There was all these people in there crying because most of these people who get DUIs are not people who are hardcore criminals, I should say. You know, and this what you have to go through with the process is is so scary that most of the people in there, they're, it's not like when you go into the courtroom and there's like the people coming in all chained to it yet to, to each other. These are normal people that you wouldn't expect to see in a courtroom. What, like? 80 something percent of the population drinks alcohol and mm-hmm. almost 90 percent of the population drives cars so it's this is it happens of, yeah so um i mean can you think of somebody that you know that's never ever had a drink and gotten behind the wheel no to be honest no except for the people who don't drink and and you never know because you know you can say oh you know, they have these guidelines, one drink an hour or whatever, but everybody's body is different. You can follow those rules and still get a DUI Absolutely. because your body doesn't process alcohol as quickly as the person standing next to you. Let's say you didn't even drink alcohol. Let's just say, say you, you took a big old swig of NyQuil mm-hmm. and got behind the wheel. You're yeah. technically driving under the influence. Mm-hmm. People don't realize when you leave, like say you stop drinking, the way you feel when you stop drinking, you may feel okay. 15 minutes later, your body's still processing that alcohol that is still in your stomach. You may say, oh, I'm going to stop because I'm, I'm going to stop drinking now because I certainly feel a little intoxicated. And then you, you go to drive home. You are going to have a higher blood alcohol level as you're driving home than when you left the bar because it takes a little while for it to process in your system. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes stopping when you go, mm, you know, I think I should stop now, but you still can continue to become more intoxicated with time. When I was at court, they, they called out everybody's names. If you had an attorney, you either had to like say like I'm here or your attorney would say present and all the people who weren't there, they issued warrants for. And then they split us all up into smaller courtrooms 
into groups. And so I went down to this other courtroom and with about maybe 20 other people, we sat there and we waited for about an hour with nothing happening. I'm sitting there, all the attorneys were sitting up front and I'm watching my attorney up there, like bragging to the other DUI attorneys. Can you believe it? I got, I got my client, uh, ARD with leaving the scene and they're like high-fiving and I'm just like, <sighs> to them, it's just their business. And to me, it was like, it's your life. life. It's your mm-hmm. life. Yeah, exactly. Finally, the judge came in. And all of us that were in there for ARD, she lined us all up. I thought she was going to, you know, like chew us out, but she didn't. She was like, I want you to understand these are your rules. You're going to be on unsupervised probation for a year. So if you mess up, you're violating your ARD and then you get kicked out and then you have to go to trial. So don't so don't do anything wrong in the in the year. You have to pay you have to pay the remainder of your balance by the end of the year. You have to do 10 hours of community service. You have to do your drug and alcohol the evaluation and the whatever they tell you you need to do. So I if mean, you, you weren't just, able to pay the remainder, then that's a violation of your That's probation. a violation and then you would your ARD would be thrown out and you would be sent to trial. And she said, you know, for people setting up payments, if you miss a payment, there's going to be a warrant out for you. And she said, if you move, you have to let us let the court know because we'll, you'll get a warrant if you're not living where you tell us. You know, it's just you're in this because this is you're not uh, repeat offenders. This is your one chance. And what happens is after the year, if you do everything you're supposed to do. They take it off of your record so that it doesn't affect your – say you go get a jo- go to get a job and they background – do a background check. You think they're going to hire somebody with a DUI over somebody who doesn't have one? No. After a year, they'll take it off. Now, if you get another DUI, it's still in their records for 10 years. So if you get another DUI, you can't go through ARD again. It then counts as a second – DUI, which the consequences are way worse mm-hmm. for each one. So this is like your one chance. Like you did something terrible. You got caught. But they're giving you one ch- You got to do a lot of stuff to prove yourself. You got to pay but, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, pay a lot of money. And, you know, you get, lose your license for 60 days. Then you have to pay to get it back. This is another thing. I think it's like... Between fifty and a hundred dollars, you have to pay to get your license back after they take it away from you, and then you have to. Um, the remainder of what I had to pay was between five and six hundred dollars. I don't know if they have these signs where you live, but there's these signs around here, and they're like, you know, don't take a chance. You're about to blow ten thousand dollars. Yeah, the signs don't lie. I mean, I didn't have to pay ten thousand. But you're because, up around 5000 at least now. Yeah. Yeah. And if you count the loss of my vehicle and, and what that was worth to me, that was a huge hit for me. And all the other related costs of my insurance. I mean, who knows when that's going to... I don't know if when when it's taken off your record, if your insurance goes down, or they just keep that information and, and charge you more for the rest of your life. But it cost a huge amount of money. Uh, financially and it was a huge emotional toll like 
until I got to the point where I knew I knew I got ARD and I could manage I can manage paying. I can manage community service. I can manage, you know, going to drug and alcohol classes. I can the unknown was unmanageable in my mind. And, and to think that that's all made in a snap decision within, mm-hmm. you know, seconds when you're in the courtroom. Yeah. And I, it was like this huge weight was lifted off me. I felt so relieved and I felt like I could allow myself to enjoy life. Again. Like I, it was, let me think when it, it was about seven months in between the accident and the trial date. And in those seven months, I was miserable. I mean, I wasn't miserable to other people, but I was like self-loathing and not really allowing myself to be happy because I, I had this huge weight on me. It was like that day, I just felt so much better. And it is scary because to me, that was like like the end of the world that I was in this, this situation. And I know I brought it upon myself. Like you said, and to think like, nobody else really cared about it until that morning in the courtroom. This is my life, and nobody really cares about it until, and it, to them, it's just you're just another number. Yeah, and I know that there's people who get in trouble for repeatedly getting DUIs. I understand that the, those people exist. I personally can't understand it because what I've gone through was so torturous mentally for me and financially and everything but I I understand that there's people who do get in trouble and again and they do need to weed those people out and they're the ones that I guess need the but see I think a lot of times sending someone to jail or making them lose their job and all this stuff it's not addressing the problem that I I'm assuming that these people who repeatedly do this probably would be better off with a trip to rehab. Well, that's the thing is the system's not in place to rehabilitate or to fix. It's only there to punish. Mm -hmm. That's it. As a society, we seem to be okay with this and seem to be okay with just sending people off to jail without considering the ramifications of, oh, now they lose their job. Now mm-hmm. we have to pay for them because they don't have an income. It's no, I'd rather them go to a class. I'd rather them go to some sort of course where they can yeah. drink. And if we're going to pay for them to go to jail, why not instead pay for them to go to a rehab center or something? But the problem is sometimes rehab, people just can't afford to go and their insurance only covers three days or, you know, you see that kind of thing all the time, not just with alcohol, but for, with drugs too. You know, you'll see somebody go in, their insurance only covers three days and then they're back out. But but we'll put people in jail for three months because they got a second DUI or something. When, or, or we'll put them in jail because they can't afford mm-hmm. to pay. I mean, that's to me a victimless crime of not being able to afford the fines and penalties Mm-hmm. We were, I, I thought we got rid of debtors' prisons, but yeah, but no, apparently not. And see, I feel like I'm lucky that I was able to pay for everything because if I hadn't had a thousand dollars, which you know, it's not like they said ahead of time, 
you're going to get ARD, but you need to bring $1,000. It was the night the night before my attorney says, if they give you ARD, you're going to have to pay $1,000. So bring your credit card. So what? eight hours of preparation to track down $1,000. Okay. Yeah. Great. And so then when I got there and they're like, okay, now you got to quick go downstairs and pay. And, and if I hadn't been able to pay, they would have continued it for, I think, about a month or something. But then after that, if you didn't have a thousand, you would have to go to trial. You wouldn't be allowed into that program. So the program only benefits people that have the money to pay for it, essentially. And then the rest of the people are going to have a DUI on their record for the rest of their lives. The ability to pay dictates your punishment. Essentially. I feel like that benefited me in this situation. So I'm lucky, right? But, you know, all these other people that don't have the money and paying $1,000 would mean not feeding their children or not having a place to live. Kind of making the situation worse. Yeah. So, and and it goes back to what you say, well, you shouldn't have done that. People say you shouldn't have done the crime if you, but you know, people make bad decisions and nobody's perfect and not everybody gets caught when they're making a bad decision, but I'm glad I feel like I got a second chance, but not everybody could afford what I was able to afford to get that second, second chance. But you weren't let off easy either. No, you didn't get a slap on the wrist. You, you Mm -hmm. had to do a no. lot of things. You, you know, you read stuff online all the time. Somebody gets like probation for molesting a child or something. You know, it's it's ridiculous. There or was... that kid, that affluenza kid. Yeah. Didn't he kill, didn't he like kill four people or something? Yeah. The, the DUI laws in most states, I think, are really structured. So you have like these minimum things that you have to do. And I'm I'm okay. I like I'm willing to do it. I'll do my community service. I'm not complaining about that. I'm glad that I had the chance to do it. But it seems like the system is kind of structured to funnel you into it and make it hard for you to get out unless you have money. You just summed it up perfectly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was a kid that picked a fight with another kid on a soccer field and I think they were actually 18. They're not, you know, they're considered adults. And uh, he punched the other kid in the head that the victim fell down. So between the punch in the head and striking his head on the ground, that kid died. Mm. And the person that assaulted him got three years probation because it was unintended. Yeah. Yet we could take somebody that merely drove drunk. They didn't kill anybody. Now, yes, that is a possibility that they could have. Mm-hmm. but has an accident with a parked car or simply just got pulled over on their way home by a police officer who determined they're drunk. Mm-hmm. And we could put them in, in jail or prison for longer than murderers. And yeah. that's that's the society we accept, that, apparently, and people are okay yeah. with it. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the more that we structure the laws... We're taking away the ability for a judge to look at someone and look at their individual circumstances and make a decision based on that. And that could go either way. I mean, that could go like this kid had to do with probation. When you structure it to that point, you're taking away the ability for a judge to to um, make 
discretion. <laughs> yes, yes. And sometimes that's good because you see some people get out and just get probation for a horrible thing. But at the same time, other people who didn't do something quite as bad get a worse. It's like people going away for drug offenses for, you know, long periods of time versus a, a child molester or getting out. Um, because the drug laws are structured, are structured too. The mandatory minimum Mm -hmm. of whatever just is way out of whack. Yeah. After this, I don't ever want to deal with, not that I ever wanted to before, but I don't ever want to be in the courtroom before a judge ever again. I am, you know, we have so many things available to us now. I mean, not everywhere, but most places seem to have Uber and Lyft and everything. I mean, I don't care. Walk, call a friend, call your mother, get a taxi, but don't drink and drive. It's not worth it. Even if you didn't get into an accident and and you got pulled over or you got caught in one of those traffic stops for looking for people. Sobriety checkpoint. A $5, $10 Uber ride is a lot cheaper than a DUI. I will say that. I do make a point that if I do drink, I will switch to water for at least two hours before Mm -hmm. I leave. I'm just responsible that way. Yeah. And And that's a good idea. And even after doing that, one of my friends says, give me your car keys. I hand them over. I'm like, okay, fine. And it's one of those things where I, that's what I choose to do. But absolutely, I'm almost 40 years old now, but when I was in my 20s, No, absolutely not. I did not do that. I drove drunk all the time, probably hundreds of times. Yeah. Never never had an accident, never had a problem, Mm -hmm. never went through a sobriety checkpoint, apparently. I just don't do it anymore because I've grown Mm -hmm. up and matured. But Yeah, and and it's scary because when you look at, I see in the news sometimes where someone has had an accident and killed someone or themselves and someone else. And it ended up being that they were drunk. And I think that could have been me. And it just scares the hell out of me, to be honest. I, I know people who have, who have lost family members because of a drunk driver. Mm-hmm. And I'm embarrassed that I, had, I did this after knowing that, you know. We're just both being honest here. I mean, Mm -hmm. people do drink and drive. I have done it. I'm just Mm -hmm. honest. I'm honest enough to say it. A lot of people won't even admit to it. And they'll just say, oh, well, you're a bad person because you used to drink and drive. And it's like, I'm sure you did too. Mm -hmm. Another aspect of this, the place that we were drinking probably should not have served me as much as they did. And I know it's everybody will go back to and say, well, it's your responsibility. But we know that as people get intoxicated, they don't always make the best decisions. I I just ate lunch with my niece and the place we were eating at had, you know, the fishbowl margaritas. Yeah. I just like one of those would get me totaled. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't drink one of those during my lunch break and somehow be functional. Yeah. You know, we, we want to regulate, you know, drugs and, and marijuana so badly yet we allow somebody to make this blow your ass off drink for lunch Mm -hmm. for us. And that's fine. You know, it's the taboo of illegal drugs to the acceptance of alcohol. You know, had I killed someone that night, that person's family could have sued 
the place that I was drinking at for serving me that much. I know that that's like a tricky thing for businesses. They want to make money and they can't always be babysitting everyone that's in front of them. And they don't always know who's driving. No. But it's tough to decide, you know, how exactly who's most responsible, you know. And and I think it obviously I'm responsible for my decisions. But I think people working in that industry should also keep an eye on people and maybe cut them off a little bit sooner. I've seen people get cut off at, at bars and they they're way more drunk than I was that night. And I see them take their keys out of their pocket and it's, it's scary. Yeah. And that, that's the sad part is that you cut somebody off at a bar and now they leave. <laughs> now they're on yeah. the road and it's somebody would drink too much, go out and get into an accident and sue. Well, and, and the funny thing is, is that actually rarely happens. The, mm-hmm. re, like the number of lawsuits, the number of cases where it's come back on them is it's irrelevant. It's mm-hmm. not a case that happens ever. I, yeah. I just wish people would be cognizant of it as I don't want to feel like I killed somebody, you know, as opposed to I don't want to get sued. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's true. If you're driving at night and a cop comes up behind you, you don't think they're, that they might possibly be running your license plate as you, they're behind you, that you have two previous DUIs that they're not going to pull you over for some Small reason. They they don't have any reason to pull you over. They're just going to pull you over. Mm -hmm. And I I did a police ride along where literally the cop was driving behind cars and calling in their license plates. And if they were clean, he would leave them be. If they had Mm -hmm. warrants or or if they had any kind of priors, he Mm -hmm. would pull them over. I never saw him pull them over for, oh, their their tags are expired or, oh, he ran that. No, no. He would just Mm -hmm. pull them over. And that was it. <laughs> it doesn't. It's one of those things where you just don't think it's going to happen. And now I am so much more careful about it. And not just with that. It's like even my, my regular driving, not that I would speed like crazy or anything, but now I drive like grandma. Mm-hmm. I'm so cautious and I'm actually a bit paranoid about getting in an accident. I still don't really like to drive much. I, I'm kind of like jumpy in the car and a little, a little nervous and just the whole thing was traumatic for me. And I not sure that I'll ever get over the whole experience. No, I, I totally get it. I, I've never had something like that happen. Mm-hmm. Luckily, luckily. And I hope to never have it happen. I hope to never be just driving normally down the street to work or whatever, and then have a drunk driver hit me. I mean, maybe so many mm-hmm. different cases. I mean, people are just bad enough drivers as it is that I don't yeah. even think you need to add alcohol to <laughs> to have the problem. I mean, I, I think it's yeah. just bad enough. 